What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Uh, before we start, give us a subscribe. Send it to your mates if you like this episode. Um, I will love you forever if you do that. Big love. Um, anyway, podcast time. And I'm a, a.k.a. Michael Gold. Um, I've known Michael for quite some time. We talk about on the podcast. And I've known him from not being a producer... DJ and wanting to be a producer DJ to becoming a successful producer DJ um, with his some of his records having multi-million streams on um, Spotify headlining tours and having support from some of the biggest artists in the world I love seeing this um, happen um, so I wanted to get him on the podcast so without further ado Anama. What's cooking, man? Not much. How's it going? Dude, this is exciting to me um, because I've known you for years and yeah. it's like been amazing to see where we first met um, to kind of put a little bit of context behind it. When when did we first meet? Five years I ago, should've, I, sh- I should have thought about it and like r- actually remembered. It was probably five or six years ago. I think mm. with COVID, I can't yeah. do time anymore. But yeah, I had not. I don't think I even had like my first, maybe like just my first release. No, you had definitely you hadn't I, even. I didn't have anything. You hadn't even started re- making music. Yeah, so it was probably like 2014 then. <laughs> 2014, 20. It was maybe 2015. Yeah, yeah. And I did like a competition for people to go and have dinner with me before a show. And you won the competition, right? Yeah. I still had you saved in my phone as Michael Goldberger's DC. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never change it. No. And it's like, I, I love situations like this where like somebody that I've met over the time that is now, Full, are you full-time in music yeah yeah now full-time in music um when you had a proper job beforehand and now i remember the conversations with when we were talking about like the conversion behind between like going from a full-time job to full-time music yeah. and it's just really nice to say so before we get into this i just want to say a huge congrats man it's like so nice to see and i'm super happy thank you, you. Yeah, Super it's happy. been a journey. And I feel like you were one of the first like professional people that actually gave me the time of day and like gave me advice and was like actually trying to help and like being a genuine person, whereas most people are just like they kind of just brush you off. So yeah. Thank you as well. You uh, gave me some some key advice back then. Really? What did I what advice did I give you? Fucking hell. This is probably I awful. I remember <laughs> we were talking about like agents and managers, yeah. and I think at that time or like when you're first starting out you really think you need a team and you're like trying to just like get all your bases in order and you were just like stop worrying about that like just start writing more music like finish the music that's always the first thing and then when i was choosing between different managers i remember you like gave me a lot of advice to help kind of figure out like who's the right person and i think i made the right choice how did you how did you get to that conclusion uh, you mean finding the right team? Yeah. So I think like the biggest thing for me, at least was waiting until people are reaching out to you mm. and not just reaching out, but like asking to like 
cut like meet up when they're in your city or something yeah. or like truly sh- showing some initiative i guess yeah because then at that point it's not so much about having like negotiating leverage because you still have no leverage because you're brand new but yeah. it's just like it proves that they're actually interested in repping you and they have this like passion about it whereas yeah. if you go to them and you're like hey i'm seeking management they're just like okay well i'll take 20 percent of your shit but like i don't even care about your project <laughs> yeah totally i uh, i look at it very much like a relationship where yeah. you don't if you're in the mood for a relationship you don't just go up to a girl and be like can you be my girlfriend <laughs> without knowing her name or a guy without like knowing anything about her that her or him and and i find it very much like that with the same with the management is that somebody has to show a bit of interest to start with and then the relationship can grow and sometimes the relationship grows into something that's not what you want or you both have it's exactly the same as a relationship and i think is yeah apart from the the tough side of it which i don't know if you've experienced yet but it's the like the breakup if you have a breakup, but also the the business side of it because when there's relationships and business, yeah. like have you have you had any of that yet? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'm kind of in a unique situation, or maybe I'm I'm naive, and a lot of people have this. But mm. the way that it worked out for me, at least, was the my current manager was had hit me up among a bunch of other people when I was kind of like catching a little bit yeah and she happened to be from where i lived currently like in dc so she was like next time i'm there for the holidays let's just like connect and chat and we had a chat like we had a lot in common um and then she was working at she had i don't think she had interest in managing me or she was just trying to like build her network maybe i don't know but she was working at an agency at that time but then she uh joined a management company Mm. after she had met with me like unrelated and then they happened to be like hey do you know any new talent so it like worked out very naturally and then we started working together and we found out that like some of our friends were connected to my girlfriend and then over time now my girlfriend and i are as close as with her friends as she is with our friends and it's like it's almost like dangerous like if, <laughs> if something ever did happen it would be like potentially a massive breakup pull yeah. or whatever but, yeah but like we're so intertwined as friends now that i see her as a friend almost before manager yeah and i know I, a lot of people say that like you know my manager is my best friend or whatever but with us it's like we are actually going to like parties and we'll see each other there not even knowing we were both invited yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so it's like yeah, so I, it seems it's it's nice for me, but all of that, going back to your question, just kind of makes it harder for me to, like, crack the whip for, like, business things because I'm like, well, this is also just, like, my friend. It's tough. You know? It's really tough. Um, but I honestly, for me, is, like, that time when you do there's, – there's ways that I learned to crack the whip. In, yeah. <laughs> in a, in a non whip cracking way. Well, yeah, it's not. That's not even a good phrase. To no, use. I it's think it like... is though. I think it is because I think every, at the end of the day, you're the boss. Yeah. And in every company, the boss has to has to like round the troops up at some point yeah. and go, "Come on, let's refocus. We have to." Yeah. Um, and I maybe think... she has to do that for you. Who knows? Definitely. But like, yeah, I think it's like it goes two ways. 
I think the the biggest thing and the and the thing that I always have to remind myself that's actually gotten harder the more successful I've become. Yeah, is to remember that no one cares about your project as much as you do, and no 100%. one is gonna like when I'm thinking about like who's my perfect manager, like what would that person look like? It's someone who has no life, no friends, yeah. works on my project twenty four seven, which is yeah. just unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. But that's how I work on my project. Yeah. Like I'm answering emails or looking at emails at midnight. Yeah. Because I'm, I have a problem. But yeah, I think when I was first starting out and didn't have a team, my drive and the effort might not have been that different. But like the way I was executing was different. Where yeah, it's like yeah. every single thing that needed to get done, I had to do it. But now that I can toss stuff to other people, it doesn't get done as fast because they ha- they're like people you know they have light lives and other clients whatever do you find it things it's like you just have to find that balance like stuff you just still have to do yourself and remember that like no one is gonna like be as nitpicky as you are if you're like a control freak or whatever never which i am (laughs) yeah no i can relate to that massively um yeah often times ryan my manager i'd be we'd be talking about something and i'm like yeah i've already done it mate and he's like, yes. why, why are you always like two steps ahead of me? And I'm like, well, you're just slow. Just deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I have, I, I used to do, I was into photography and graphic design before yeah. I ever started uh, producing. So I have like a little bit of that background and I'll like cut together quick videos or like edit my own photos and yeah. stuff. And she'll be like, we have a team for this. And I'm like, yeah, but I just wanted it today Yeah, in like the next 10 minutes. So I just did it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't wait, possibly wait an hour. I needed it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder when that will change for you, when you'll be able to, because that's a you thing, right? That's not a team thing. That's a you thing. I think it's a tiny bit. It's definitely a me thing, but it's a little bit of both only because the team, I'm I'm still one of the smaller fish on my team. You who, know? who is like your team? They, Let's so if you want to talk I'm, about it yeah i mean red light is okay. manages me and it's uh my manager anna who who like started out kind of as the day-to-day with yeah. someone above her who still like looks after but he's on to like these other clients yeah. so i'm mostly focused with her but they also do um hayden james who's like huge right oh now. you guys on, are you under them my Ryan, my yeah. manager's like really good friends with Hayden's manager. Is it is it Luke? Yeah. 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 My Ryan's really good friends with Oh, him. nice. Yeah. So yeah, so it's Luke and Anna and, and they that that's one of many. I think with Red Light, a lot of the managers kinda like share a lot of people or they're like working on different projects a lot. So yeah. it's it goes all over the place. But I look at where I'm at. I'm like, oh, I'm like doing pretty well, like whatever. And then it's these people who are like, yeah, they were here 10 years ago. Now they're like, you know, so much higher. It's like, why would these, why would any resources be prioritized to me at this point? And I have to remind myself that. Yeah. So it's not anyone's fault. It's just kind of how the system works. But I do think I could not care so much about like the small stuff. Yeah. And that would also take some stress away. I think do you get stressed? Yeah, it 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 uh it manifests in different ways. Like I don't you would never like look at me and think I'm stressed. Like my yeah. girlfriend's like, "Why don't you ever get like you never like show your emotions?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> they just manifest differently. Like it's I like get angry in my head, but yeah. I don't like walk around like storming or whatever." But Yeah. 
Um, it's the stress is always something that I can pat down by just like remembering where I'm at and like yeah. having gratitude for what is working. And it's like, if I'm mad that whatever, some show got canceled or I got, I'm on some bad time slot or like whatever it mm. is, or this person's not answering our email fast enough. I'm just yeah. like five years ago, if I saw that I had been like supported by whatever DJ it would have like blown my mind. And now that information just like walks right past my face and I'm yep. like, Oh cool. Another whatever. So it's like, you just get desensitized to the success, the like the little wins. Whereas mm. when you remember where you were, those same little wins would have been like yeah, the happiest day of your life. So I try to rewind and be like, okay, I should be super happy right now. Yeah. I think the thing is, is though it's like, <clears throat> it's the, the want for more. And the drive yeah. to kind of be more successful. And something something kind of clicked for me at some point in my I think it was like twenty end of twenty eighteen, beginning of twenty nineteen. And it especially <laughs> like this summer for me, it was like a huge thing. Obviously, like I've always known that a big record will change your career like we all know that right a hit record everyone mm. wants a hit record right but even more so for me especially this year was like it's lit just the music is the only thing that can do the talking this is like the only thing if you have a big record if you don't sweat the small stuff and just concentrate on this the music everything else will fall in place um and it kind of has for you to a certain extent, if you think about it, like the, yeah. the small stuff doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It just matters on a day to day basis, because if you were in the studio 24 hours a day, you wouldn't give a fuck about the small stuff. Yeah, that's something I really realized in, in the past couple months or like when kind of when COVID was ending. Yeah. Or the lockdowns, because during lockdown, I, I was like the happiest person like it was you know kind of yeah, creepy yeah. but like i was like oh you want me to stay at home all day with like no other choice excellent <laughs> like because i already i mean i think i would say like the bit like i i once i got like my yoga practice and like got my my like pair of free weights and like yeah. could still be healthy indoors i was you know it was literally like music 15 hours a day and yeah. i wrote like 200 songs wow. i was having like this creative red renaissance that whole year and then when i came out of it and stuff shows started coming we had to start sending stuff to labels and just all the regular like mm. whatever stresses of the job came i started to keep a journal and and wrote down like which days was i stressed which days was i not thinking about it at the yeah. end of the day and the days I was writing music was always the good days. Yeah. And the days I was like working on the other stuff was always the, were always the bad days. So I was thinking like, okay, clearly the stress is just from being distracted from why I'm doing this in the first place, yeah. which is just to write music all the time. 100%. And in the, I understand what you're saying with like being a smaller artist on the roster, but the only way to become a bigger artist on the roster is write bigger records. Yeah. It's the only and way. It's not, it's not even like the most that most of my stress comes from that. It's just, so I come from a corporate yeah. background. Like I was, I worked at a big consulting company, like mm. management consulting, like 
the suit, everything. And that's what I thought I was going to do for most of my life. Like yeah. when I was six, I was like, I want to be a CEO of my own company. <laughs> like that was my thing. That's amazing. And yeah, which I am like, I am an entrepreneur. It's just mm. in music. Like we are the CEOs of our business. Totally. But that aside, I think the, uh, that transition is still really tough because I'm sure you can relate, but like the music industry is filled to the brim with people who have no professionalism at all. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Until you reach a certain level, but like it's mostly younger people. It's mostly people who might not have ever had another job. Yeah. It's mostly people whose success is tied to someone else. So like you mm-hmm. can be a shitty manager, but have someone writing hit records and still get lucky and, and then blow up. And yeah. then people think you're good at your job yeah. when you know, you might not be. So it's like trying to deal with those people. It's so it's more about the principle of like, it took them f- three weeks to email me back one sentence. And like, that's the kind of stuff that gets me annoyed and yeah. stresses me out where it's like, I just have this like bar of, you know, workmanship that, that I want to be like yeah. working with. So I think it's, it's kind of, it's rooted in like my experience working at a real job and like, you know, getting yelled at when you don't do something to like a sufficient standard. On time. No, I totally agree with you. And I think for me is like, there comes a point where it's like, they will respond to me when they want me and when they need me. And realistically, if they're not responding straight away, they don't, they they give zero fucks because I can guarantee you, if you email somebody and you're like the hottest new thing, they will email you straight away. And it's just something that I've realized is that it's like, you either want me when I'm on the way up or you don't want me at all. Yeah. And the people that want you on the way up, that will give you the support on the way up, you will make sure that you give them absolutely everything you can when you're at the top. And then the people that will give you, sounds like a very dick move, but when the people that don't want you on the way up, you just take what you can when you're at, when you're at the top and just fucking rinse it for as much as you can because it's like come on we all started somewhere even the people that that even even those types of people were were nobody at some point yeah. and and i think it's like we're all human beings we we all shit out the same hole like where's the level there's like a level of respect and i think there's there's a huge lack of that in yeah. this industry when it and i'm not talking shit on it it's just it is it is what yeah. it is and of course a lot of these people can't give all their time to everybody and i don't expect all that time but like like you said a simple email going no nah, i'm right thanks doesn't take yeah. three weeks that's that was kind of one of my i have like a like a mental like 10 commandments in my head mm. of like stuff that i remember when i was trying to break into it and like come up five or seven whatever years ago yeah and i was like okay when i'm big i'm never going to do this or i'm always going to do that and a bunch of them have to kind of do with this where like anytime even if like the i get the dumbest remix requests of someone who like doesn't even have a release and they're like i'd love for you to remix my song i'm just like hey man don't have the bandwidth thanks like i'll do it for my iphone like before dinner Mm. or something like i just immediately answer and they're like cool thanks for getting back to me yeah I tried to instill that same thing in my team. I'm like, hey, I want to be the kind of team that like we just say no rather than ignore people. Yeah. And if we get a second follow up, 
we've already failed and we like need to just say something to them like i want that reputation yeah they're like you're fucking crazy we're not doing that but i still try to get back to everyone as soon as possible because for me it's it's not like oh you're you're wasting their time like they might be waiting to email the next person until you get back so you've just delayed whatever their thing is for three weeks it's Mm. like it's not even disrespectful it's like fucking up someone's schedule someone's career career in like a very short term no i I had tracks that were supposed to come out in like march and then like over delays of chains of emails the track comes out in like october and i'm like yeah i had a whole tour planned around this release and now it's like totally fucked yeah no i i agree it's 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 a very weird industry and for the amount of money that gets made in the industry it's very unprofessional in a corporate sense, but it works. And that is the joys of a creative world. It's doesn't necessarily, until you get to the top, it doesn't really have the professionalism to a certain extent, Um, which, and it makes sense because there's just, there's so much volume and it's so busy that like you can't expect it. Yeah. And realistically, there's not much money in it until you're at the top, right? Like (laughs) even for like, there's there's barely any money in it really um because everyone takes cuts and what's what gets left in the pot as the artist it doesn't necessarily mean like you couldn't employ you in your corporate life to work for you right now if that makes sense yeah so it's like when you can only employ a certain level of employee because yeah. everyone has everyone has a value it's like oh exactly. okay let's get another intern in and pay them like a thousand bucks a month and it's like well i'm gonna get a thousand bucks a month worth of person yeah. and that's it sounds really disrespectful saying that but it's the, the fact of, no, of it how is. It it's, is. it's also how i it's it's how i like remember that what's going on is totally normal because i'm like oh whatever like they didn't get this on time or like they're acting like this and i'm like what's their salary based off of the percentage they're getting from me or, or from their mm-hmm. client? It's yeah. like below minimum wage. Like that's the reason you need multiple clients yeah. to begin with. And like, it's, you can't expect the the quality of work knowing that you're not making them that much money. Yeah. And I bring it very insular and, and, and very on myself where it's like, okay, sure. what do I need to do to make sure that I have this person's full attention? And yeah. it all comes down to making good music. Except in the last year or so, some people would be like, nah, you just need a 10 million on TikTok and you can be a, you can just become a DJ. Okay. So I had, I had Shaq on the podcast just to like, I've done Dude, four podcasts. DJ today. Diesel was one of the most entertaining shows I've ever seen. No, not, at- not that Shaq. Not oh, different Shaq. Different Shaq. So he's, <laughs> It's S C H A K. He's like got oh, the hottest. It's like the hottest record in the UK at the moment. It's like blowing up. It's on Patrick Toppin's oh. label. The tracks. Okay. I forgot what the tracks not, called. Not it's my like, world. Yeah, very far <laughs> away from your world. But he's like, he's a character, and he's done some social media stuff. Very, very interesting. Very cool. Lovely guy. But like, it's so authentically him like the whole TikTok thing, the whole different persona thing. It's very him. And it you can tell it's so authentic. If you went and did that and I saw you going to do that, I'd be like, mate, what the fuck are you doing? 
because it just looks stupid because it doesn't feel authentic. If I did that, it wouldn't feel authentic to me. So I totally agree. Like, yes, nowadays the whole TikTok thing is a bit weird, but you have to do what's authentic to you. Yeah. And that's my, that's my problem with it is the managers or like the teams or or the advice people who are like, everyone should be doing this. It's like, no. Yeah. Just because someone had success with it doesn't mean that it's the next thing that will make everyone else successful. successful. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, My thing is like, just fucking make great music. Like the great music will pay off eventually. Like music comes through and yes, you have to promote your music. You have to promote your music. Like there's no way around it. You can't not promote your music. Like without promotion, nothing happens. Like especially nowadays. Yeah. It's crazy. So it's like, but even, even previously promotion was just different. Right. So like even before I was like full time in music, like promotion was more based on like DJs playing your records where now, like, if a DJ plays your record, it means fucking nothing. It means really, unless every DJ is playing your record, it means nothing. Um, so it's like, how do you promote a record to the masses? It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's, really it's become, I think, the shift, at least what I'm noticing, and I, I like, try to keep up with it because it, it does interest me, and I was, I studied, like, marketing in college so it's i've always had that background but it seems more about promoting yourself as the product these days than specific songs because even like someone like you know john summit who's like clearly had hits like legitimate hits that everyone was playing all of my like the younger people i know and like my cousin who's like 24 or whatever She's like, I'm going to go see John Summit. I'm so pumped. And I'm like, what's your favorite song by him? She's like, I don't know. I just follow his Twitter. Yeah. And it's like, that's, I think that's fucking awesome. Cause like, if you can sell yourself as a product and have great music, but the funnel is open both ways, you're going to be a superstar. Yeah. You are the product. You are the product. You are the product and your your music isn't the product. And that, but I think that's kind of shifted because it's sort of, used to be the other way around where like even guys like Dixon or whatever, who like, it's not about their stage presence and it's not about who they are. It's no. about their curation of music. Yeah. 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 Even now that's kind of transformed where he's like this icon. Yeah. Even though he's not like doing anything different really. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> I think it just depends also on like who your, who your market audience is. Right. So like, for sure. Totally. Let's say for instance, like with John classic example is like, <laughs> if you're a frat boy or a frat girl, a sorority girl, whatever it is in America, like he's, they're your target audience for him. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you're getting fucked up on social media all the time, your whole thing's about a party, like your whole thing's about girls and all of that. Like you're, you're, you're directing to a certain audience. Tale of us on a different hand way more successful worldwide mark marketing to a very different audience marketing to a, a wealthy audience marketing to people that will go and buy a lot of bottles in clubs and sell a lot of tickets for a lot of money very different and they both yeah. work very well like i don't see tale of us doing stupid tiktok shit yeah they they just have 
found what's authentically them and doing what works for them. And realistically, like social media has helped them massively because of their visuals, right? Totally. A lot of people know Afterlife more than Tale of Us. For um, sure. They haven't released the song in like three years. Exactly. I mean, Mateo has, but like... You know, yeah, but like... Diff different. They don't need to. So like yeah. if they don't need to, then... And it's... And they're not that interested in it, then why? If you know what I mean? They're doing perfectly fine in the music industry without releasing music. That's fucking crazy it's, to it's say. crazy, yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is, right? It's like... It's the way this industry is built is not based around the music industry is not always based around music. However, it starts with yeah. music. It's always yeah. starts with like John always, John started with music. <laughs> Got the bark. Yeah. And I think he's sleeping too. So he might just be having a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It always starts with music and, and it, it's always centered around it. But I, I do think that, the, the it's a shift like i feel like yeah. it used to be more about music or maybe i'm becoming like jaded but i don't know i feel like because even with like eric prids and like big room and stuff like the production was always crazy and and yeah it's yeah. it's even crazier now but there used to be like hits and anthems and that kind yeah. of thing and i feel like there hasn't really been a song that like lasts for more than a couple months before something else like it's I, yeah do you think that's feel like the age of like songs anymore i i agree with you i don't i really don't disagree with you on that i i think what do you think that is the volume of stuff coming out probably mm -hmm. and just the the attention span due to social media has just shrunk immensely and i think the fact that there's so many I don't know if like, amateur is the right word, but because like everyone is a DJ now and like, and depending on who you're seeing, like half the crowd might have DJed before or like yeah. owned a controller, which is wild. Uh, but because of that, I think that like songs get played out even for the fans by the fans faster. Yeah. Where, where like you go mm -hmm. to your friend's house and they're playing all the hottest new records. Yeah. Six weeks of that. And you're like, okay, this is fucking boring now. Yeah. Whereas it used to be a record could last a year because you could only hear it at the club because yeah. you know not everyone was playing it yeah that's a theory i don't I, know i yeah i i think i think everything just moves faster doesn't it fashion yeah, just generally fashion everything um is it moves really fast i don't necessarily like it but no. there's also like this, what can I? What can we do about it? We just got to fucking move on and just keep writing music and just it will come back around. It always does. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just even think like Spotify that Daniel Eck was famous for being like, you got to just release yeah more now. Like it's just every couple weeks, you know. Have you seen that documentary? So, yeah, I just finished it the other day. It's fucking weird, isn't it? It's a little weird. <laughs> it kind of cringed me out a lot watching it. Yeah, it was like over over dramatic for certain parts it was cool like i had read a book about it so I've, i yeah. already knew a lot of the history and like some of it was clearly just over over dramatic yeah for the yeah for the show but yeah i don't i don't like any time i feel like i'm often if i like listen back to what i say i'm like oh stop complaining and like none of this is really complaining no. it's more just like i think about 
I'm just a thinker, you know, and I'm, I'm observant and it just, it's interesting to like see how these things change and how it progresses. And like, I don't know, can you take advantage of how the market works to, to potentially, you know, beat it or be more successful in it? And if I feel like if you're completely ignorant of what's changing around you, that's how you fall fall out a little bit. 100%. I, I don't, yeah, I agree with you. 100% and I think it's really important to talk about it because I think the more you talk about it the more it becomes real and the more you can kind of hash out ideas to move forward and and kind of move into it yeah um I think it's really important to talk about and also there's so many people that don't understand the what goes into it like I remember for me when I first started playing there wasn't Beatport wasn't around to start with. So, and it was vinyl only. And then I started, it started when like CDJs were just slowly coming in and then Beatport came in and everything was about, can I even get my music on Beatport? Like Beatport had a filtering system. They made it hard for you (laughs) to get on Beatport. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was like, they wouldn't, if, if you weren't cool, you weren't getting on Beatport. Wow. At the beginning. And when you got a beatport number one, it changed your career. Like you were literally like went from nothing to everything overnight. If your record went on beatport number one, if you get beatport number one now, it really doesn't fucking mean anything. Yeah. Certain genres. It's like that could only mean like a hundred sales. Yeah. Which beatport has always been that way inclined to a certain extent where like, yeah, because it's just DJs going there. But what used to happen, Beatport people weren't DJs, would go there because that was the only place they could get the music. Yeah. Now what's happened is everything's just like <laughs> massively um, diluted because there's so many platforms of like, put it on here, put it on here. And like I get so many people going like, why don't you put your music on SoundCloud? I'm like, well, just there's so many other places to go listen to it. Like, yeah. and also like, soundcloud pay shit so why would i put it on soundcloud and now it's like soundcloud's got a resurgence so it's like everyone's putting their music back on soundcloud and it's like there comes a point when you you're like i just want to fucking make music yeah dude but it's 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 crazy like thinking about I, i try to remember that like everyone's like journey to the music is drastically different and i think i'm even in like a very small subset that yeah. that I can't relate to a lot of people, but like YouTube is the second biggest music platform. Yeah. And like some people have built their career off of having their music on YouTube. And it's yeah. like a lot of things that like people don't even think about. Yeah. I don't know. I think if, if fans knew more about the inner workings of the industry, it would like, I don't know. I feel like a lot could change. I'm not sure if there's like an analogy in, a, in some other industry, but do you think it would though? I don't know. Maybe not significantly, but like it would just be. Maybe it would just make our lives easier when our fans don't like assume something that like is kind of offensive, or like they understand like the economics. Like when people were talking about Spotify doesn't pay enough, and they they touch on this at the end of the show, but. It has nothing to do with Spotify not paying enough. It's people who have deals with the record label where they get a 17% royalty. So when they see streams coming in, they're like, oh, I only get this much. It's like, well, you're also only getting 17% of what Spotify is paying out. Yeah. 
And yeah, Spotify could pay more, but it starts with the labels. And sometimes that also is like, it starts with the distributors above, above them. I don't know. That's just one example, but there's a lot of stuff. And I think like how fans find your music, if they understood which ones were more lucrative or which ones provided like a, a more tailored experience, yeah. like Spotify's top 10 songs. I don't think any artist is happy about their top 10. I don't know. Like I don't hate my top, top 10. five. I don't hate them. Okay, me. maybe you are. But like most people, it's like, oh, well, those are like the poppiest ones or the only yeah. ones that got playlisted. But it's like not the collection that you're like trying to put to the forefront. Yeah. So I think I don't know. I think if if a lot of that kind of stuff was more known, it could just help you tell a better story to your fans or yeah. like have the parts that you want to monetize be more monetized. I don't know. But I guess the question is, is like <clears throat> for me, Every record that I think is going to do well doesn't do well, and every record that does that I don't think is going to do well does well. Just, just how it is. Really? <laughs> yeah. To a certain extent, I knew. Sometimes it's like that with me. I knew Hallelujah was going to do well, just because everyone was playing it before it came out. That, yeah. But like everything else in my career, like I didn't know it was going to do well if it did well. Um, no one does. No, Even and if I a think labels like this is the one. They're usually wrong. <laughs> always wrong. Always. If they're saying this is the one, I'd back the fuck out because it's not the one. Yeah. So I I think in counter to your argument, it's like as artists, we are pretty bougie when it comes to what how we want to be perceived in the pub into the public, right? But at the yeah. end of the day, the public will perceive us however they perceive us. And we can never yeah. change that. Never change that. However, what we can do is just put out music and if they like it, they can just do what the fuck they want with it then. And they can, they, it doesn't have to be too thought out. And I think we as artists can like overthink everything way too much and be like, oh, this should be here. This should be that. And it doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah. Well, it's 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 out of your control. Like Exactly. I, I believe... And I, I learned this kind of the hard way, but I believe that an artist's culture or like an artist's image is defined by who their perceived fans are. Yeah. So it's like if if people think that the fans of this artist, like what we were just saying about Tale of Us or John Summit, their culture is defined by who we think their fans are. We're not like I think we're you're where you are right in what you said, but a lot of the times you're like oh, that person is whatever, lame, or, yeah, you know, totally. he plays hard, or yeah, all this yeah. stuff, yeah, yeah. based off of who you think their fans are, not even what the actual yeah. reality is. So it's like, no matter what you try to brand yourself as, or whatever careful little tinkering you do, it's about who's the who becomes the fans of your music, or not even that, but like, who other people think are the fans yeah, of but, your music. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is thinking about that is, if if you go in if you keep it very personal to you right and it's like what type of music do you listen to and you go onto your spotify playlist or your personal spotify playlist and see how much the genres change in there and then what we're trying to do is like finger point everybody to be this specific person yeah. and completely forget that like i listen to country music and fucking maceoplex <laughs> like yeah. Who would have thought it? Like, I'd go to a festival, and if Maceoplex was playing and Coulter Wall was playing, I'd go see both of them. 
And it's incredible. I know, right? It's fucking stupid. But then, then I think like, okay, like, you know what? Maybe, maybe my fans, maybe I don't know who my fans are in that sense is like, we don't know them that well. They just come yeah. to our shows and we know a handful of them. Like we can't possibly know all of them, but realistically, as long as we're, as long as us as the artists are putting out the music that we love, hopefully they will like it. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of good advice that's similar to that, where it's like, you do what you want to do and the fans will come. Because I think at least for my project, relative to most, what I'm putting out is like, at least within the subgenre, it's yeah. like very eclectic. Yeah. Like the fact that like Lee Burge has played some songs above and beyond has played some songs yeah. like two different worlds. But for me, I was always like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I like all these genres. I want to produce all these genres yeah. and alias, you know, maybe it was a bad idea to not do it. Maybe it was a good idea, but over time I've built a fan base. At least I think I have that you have. also likes both of those things. Yeah. And it's become like, if you come to my shows, it's because you want to hear whatever five different sub genres yeah. of house and techno in one show because you like all of it and you're a fan of all of it. And you know, if I can weave it together, that's, hats off to me for being able to do that as a dj but like if i was to only go down one of those rabbit holes then i think i would be less happy with who my fans would become because it would be like boxing me in in yeah. a way but it took a little bit to like get that fan base that's actually down for like those switch ups in between a set or whatever and i think it as long as it doesn't matter how long it takes yeah it's just like for me it was like a huge a huge switch from going okay so my fans were majority majority like dirty bird fans and mm -hmm. like i knew like the type of fan that would come to my shows and when i was like okay i'm stepping away from dirty bird and kind of moving forward with where i want to go with things like my fans are going to change some of them are going to come with me, but I'm really going to have to build them back up and start again, start fresh. And we're still in that building stage now. And we're mm -hmm. still like, occasionally I get people like, actually I can probably say this year is the, f the first year where people haven't asked me to play my dirty bird music. Nice. Which is like, it's taken the whole of COVID and a year the whole of 2019 up until now for that to happen and that we purposely put that plan in place with my team and it eventually gets there but no one ever turns around as quickly as you do as the artist you have to give it time yeah and that's the fun of it for me it's like how do we okay like <clears throat> i'm gonna play i'm gonna support a show for this person how do I make sure that these I'm going into the show? No one has a fucking clue who I am. How do I make sure that all of these people know who I am or even 10% know who I am? Yeah. And like I played in Granada in Spain on Sunday, Saturday. I could guarantee there was probably one person in that club that knew who I was to start with. By the end of it, I want to make sure that I open my Instagram and see a fuck ton of DMs and seeing like people going, 
you just had gave me the best night I've ever had in this club. And that's yeah. that's purely the, the the one thing is that just keeps me going is how can I definitely if I'm supporting a headliner how can I make sure I have a better set than the headliner and that's not me being a dick that's me going I need to win these over because I know eventually I'm gonna be selling tickets to these people yeah hundred percent I actually like had a bit of like a day of reckoning when I switched over from like only doing support to starting to headline my own tours yeah where I like sat down in front of record box and was like, okay, what is like an enamor set look like when there is no other constraint yeah. and trying to like piece that together was, was tough at first. Cause I was so used to being this artist who could chameleon before some other DJ and do yeah. like such a cool opening set. That's like my spin on the, what these, the fans of this person would like. Yeah. And it like really helped me blow up initially for the people that I was supporting, but yeah, it's it's the challenge like shifts when you're just playing to fans that already know who you are versus yeah. when you're trying to win them over. Personally, I think the winning them over part is more fun as well. Like fun. a headlighting show is obviously fun, but it's almost like built in a little bit. You don't feel as much of like a challenge. And knowing I kind of hate playing my big records. Um I don't hate it, but I, they're just the biggest ones for me are not always the clubbiest, so it just doesn't yeah. translate. So knowing that I can always play one of those like more commercially records and like have the whole crowd isn't interesting to me. Yeah. So when I'm opening or playing a multi-artist like lineup where people are just going for the party, yeah, that's like my favorite thing to do because it's like I have no restraints. I can play, I can play as little of myself as I want or yeah. all my unreleased stuff. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, it's and really like, interesting, isn't it? Because <clears throat> I I agree with that, but I I also I for me going into headline shows, I still go in going, most of these people don't know who I am because I think in a lot of the situations that we're playing in is like, they're like, it's not hard tickets. Mm -hmm. That's true. So it's like, it's clubs. And then also it's like, <laughs> okay, there's two people that want to go to, let's just say, I don't know, I'm trying to think of sound in LA, right? Let's just say sound because mm -hmm. it's it's not it's more of a a soft ticket venue than a hard ticket venue. Um, so you you get the people that are just going to sound because they go to sound on a Saturday night. First of all, yeah. you then get the people that just want a night out, so they buy tickets. They don't know who's headlining, so they just buy tickets and go if it's affordable. Then you have your fans that buy your tickets, but then you have your fans' friends that yeah. probably don't really give a fuck who's DJing. But every every person that's bought a ticket is bringing somebody with them, or might be bringing somebody with them, and the the likelihood of them knowing who you are is like pretty slim. So in these soft ticket shows, I'd probably say only like twenty thirty percent of them actually like true fans. Some of them might know who you are but they're not mm. actual true fans. They don't follow you on Instagram. They And yeah. I see this, and I don't know if you see this, but I see this as like, I'll play a show in LA. It's like my, one of my biggest markets. And after the show, I'll get like two, 300 followers. And you're mm. like, guys, you bought tickets to my show. Like, why aren't you following me? But then, yeah. and then you like backtrack and your ego kind of gets taken out of it. And you're like, actually, no, like, why would you follow me? Like, you've seen me once. 
So like, yeah. or you, or you may have seen me twice now, and now you're now you're fully in, or maybe it's like four times, and like I've you've seen me four times this year, and now you've just got around to following me, like I th- and I think that's the thing is like I think I used to like expect so much from people as fans, yeah. and when I kind of like took my ego out of it and was like, I I all I can do is expect nothing. Yeah. I, I'm constantly reminding myself and like, like chuckling every time I do that I have to remember that like, I am not the average of the the audience yeah. at all. Yeah. And like, I actually do this a lot with you where when, I, when I'm thinking about like, how should I do something? I'm like, well, what would Will do? Cause like, <laughs> I remember when you would do those burger contests, yeah. I was like, that's such a cool way to like meet fans make them super fans immediately mm-hmm. have them come to the rest of your shows for the rest of your life. Yeah. And also just like learn more about who your fans are. Yeah. But I'm always trying to think like, what would I do in this situation as a fan? And it's yeah. literally never been what I'm expecting my fans to do. And it's, yeah. it, it's like complete nonsense that I would expect them to do something that I don't even do. But like, like that, for example, you don't, I'll catch myself not following an artist that I've been DJing yeah. since 2015. I'm like, wow, why don't I follow them? Or I'll, I'll love a song by this guy and play his song every single set for the whole summer and never once look to listen to any of their other music. Yeah. And then I'm like, some fan will be like, Oh, I love your biggest song, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and I, in my head, I'm like, oh, I wish you would go to my discography and listen to the rest of it. And then I, backtrack i'm like wait i don't even do this for other artists exactly and I'm a DJ. yeah yeah so it's like you constantly have to just and like when i go to shows like you know i bring friends and i tell them like all about the artist and then i realize i'm not even following that person on instagram and then yeah. how do i expect others yeah yeah it's, it's just and yeah, also like i never expect it no and i think that's the thing is going in with zero expectations it's like for me like releasing music changed as well like my last couple of releases have done really fucking bad streaming like really bad streaming um like laughable bad (laughs) sorry it's fine is i laugh about it but it's like it's yeah it's just fucking house music yeah and it's like i can stress about it but i just write another record and put another record out and then if that does bad, I'll just write another record and put another record out. And yeah. eventually someone's going to be like, go on and give them a chance and it will do well. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. It's, there's bigger things to worry about, um, which sucks to to bring that back down. Because when we're in our own little worlds, right, it's so hard to just like, it's so hard to just accept that, a record that you love so much of your your own record is just yeah. no one's hearing it and the spotify gods haven't given you the playlist that you think you deserve and yeah. the spotify algorithm hasn't given you the algorithm that you deserve and the radio dj's put on some other artist's record that you think's a shit record if you know what i mean and there's all these other factors and it's just fucking house music. Yeah. I think it's a, it's kind of analogous to life as a whole where totally. your mindset determines your reaction to all of these things. Yeah. So like you could say, 
oh, I the, the record's not doing well because it sucks and I'm a bad producer. Or you could say because it's totally out of my control and it has to do with whether literally a single person playlists it. Yeah. Or a single person puts it on the radio and yeah. like that person might not have checked their email. Yeah. They might not not have even listened to the song. Yeah. There's so many ways you can like talk yourself out of it not being your own problem mm-hmm. that it, it actually almost is like a positive where because it's so nebulous and out of control, out of our control, it doesn't discourage people or it shouldn't. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't need to discourage you as much as it could as if you literally handed the demo to your favorite DJ. They listened to it in front of you and were like, nah, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but also like how many times have you heard a record and you listen to it in the studio and you're like, yeah, this is pretty shit. And then you go hear someone else play it and you shazam it. And you're like, fuck, I listened time. to that today. And it was shit. Why does it sound so good in the club? And yeah. it's just, it's our mindsets as well. It's like, we can't expect everybody else to be on if we're not on. Or if we're in a different mindset. Like, listening to a record in when you're in a bad mood or you've got something on your mind or you've had a argument with your girlfriend or the dog shit on the fucking carpet. And then you listen to it on a different day when you're like in the best mood possible. Like it changes the record. Totally. I I started like actively picking when I listened to promos because I started noticing that. Yeah. Like right after a cup of coffee, I was like downloading everything and then I would listen back. I'd be like, this is all shit. Or like I, I like mentor a lot of people through Patreon and yeah. I would be, be giving people feedback and my feedback would be like a lot harsher depending on what time of day I'd be really? listening to the track. That's interesting. <laughs> That's just because like, all, like co- all you coffee addicts, you're all just a bunch of fucking drug addicts and aren't willing to accept it. Oh, I'm, I will fully admit <laughs> I am addicted to it. I try to wean myself off like every couple months, not so much to like prove that I'm not addicted, but because when you go back... It's, it's like a better. fresh start and it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as like drugs go, I'm, I think we've even talked about this. Like the only reason caffeine is legal is for like, has nothing to do with safety or like, no, you know, it's all like government BS or like yeah. history or like something, you know, same with alcohol, right? It has to do with racism. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Everyone who's drinking coffee might as well also be taking speed instead. Like, they're both pretty unhealthy for it's you. It's pretty much exactly the same, but we just, yeah, it's fucking or crazy. Or like people who take Adderall and party and then they'll like see someone who's doing speed or like meth and they're like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah. that's this pretty much. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. America loves that shit. Don't they? Yeah. I, I'm not into it. It's, it's wild. It's, it's, it's amazing what we do or what some of us do to like enhance the situation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing that there are DJs like you who have never really done any of those yeah. drugs and like still make music that's like tailored for it. <laughs> <laughs> strictly, strictly class A's. Yeah. I don't know though, because I guess you don't have to. Yeah. I, it's weird, isn't it? You've I also guess. been doing it for so long. I think that's probably has a big part of it. Yeah. I think like. I think also growing up with what the music that I listened to, it was like, it's still drug music. Like Faithless was like the first band that I kind of was got into. And it's like, well, that's practically trance to a certain extent or like 90s rave 
like yeah. commercial dance music. So I think like that nostalgic kind of feeling. You don't need to take drugs to get that feeling. You just get no, a feeling from it. That I just presume the drugs just enhance it. Yeah, I think at least from my understanding, when I just like talking to people and seeing it, obviously, is it's more about like removing inhibitions than it's both. It's like removing inhibitions and enhancing it. So yeah. it's like uh, you could enjoy it in your head, but are you going to like dance like a crazy person? Totally. Probably, yeah, yeah. probably not. <laughs> 100%. I don't enjoy going to clubs unless I'm DJing. I never really yeah. have. I've never had it's that. Tough. It's a tough place to be if you're sober. <laughs> yeah. I like the, It's weird. I love going, as you know, I love going for dinner. I love sitting down and having conversations in like a small group and like being very like insular and like having a deep conversation. The minute loud music gets involved, I just, I just go into my, I just shut off. Cause I'm like, I want to have the conversation. I want to have the like, yeah, the like intimacy with somebody with a, a conversation. Um, I'm the same way. Yeah. Do you, I'll so, go to shows because if certain DJs, if they're in my town, I like want to see them play and totally. I, it, it's great. Um, now that I'm in LA and even towards the end of my time in DC, it was also just to like network a little bit and just like see yeah. the people in the scene and just say hi to everyone and my friends. But you will not find me dancing at a show unless it's like in Berlin and it's something that I do not make like yeah. fast techno that like yeah. allows me to step out of myself. Yeah. But I'm constantly like analyzing stuff. Yeah. Like my friends will like take a video of me, like very like concentrating on what's happening in the club. And they're like, you look like a, an idiot. And I'm like, like, I'm a just psycho. <laughs> yeah. I'm like analyzing what's happening. Like, this is my job. It's like you going to whatever you do, like a, like a work conference or something. Totally, man. I'm, I'm the same as well. It's like, I, I'm I'm trying to work out how that record is made or I'm trying yeah. to work or out or why it's working. I'll yeah. I'll before my shows I'll like bop around the dance floor while the opener's playing and just like see what's making people move, see like which parts of the crowd are like just people talking, who's dancing like yeah. and then when I go on I kind of have those reference points to help me make better decisions. Mm. Also from a sound perspective like that's actually that's another thing I wish fans knew is like most sound at least in America most clubs have shit sound. Yeah. And depending on where you are in the club could make or break whether you think the sound is good. Like if you're in a dead spot for the mm. sub, yeah. The whole night you're going to be like it's too quiet, turn yeah. it up, it's too quiet and it's like you move 10 feet to the right and it's like the loudest bass you've ever heard. Yeah. I'm also I also think do we put too much pressure on the fans of what we expect of them in that sense. Do these people actually give a fuck about good sound? Definitely not. No. No. This is all me like <laughs> Yeah, it's like these are the things that I think about. But at the same time like they don't it's like you kind of don't know what you're missing, but your experience I could 100% guarantee would be better 100%. if you like thought yeah. about it. Yeah, like when 100%. I'm at a party with my friends, I'll I'll move them to a better spot. Yeah, yeah. I won't always tell them that's the reason. I'm like, hey, let's just go over here. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. A good sound, game changer. 
absolute yeah. game changer. A lot of people don't know what good sound is. Like, if you haven't been to certain clubs in America, you have not heard a truly, like, fantastic sound system. Like, there yeah. are cities that don't have one, you know? Yeah. And if that's your, if that's your world, then, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know the difference. Then it sucks to be you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... um. How's how was the first tour for you? Or how was touring was, for you for the first like when when was the first full time for you where you were like this is So I I quit my job August 2019 and then that was like either halfway through or or like right before I think my second tour yeah. supporting Lane 8 but then or throughout that tour as well as right after i was doing headline shows yeah um yeah it was really eye-opening so much fun um but it but yeah it kind of got me introduced to the lifestyle of like what what i was gonna have to like come to expect going forward yeah and it, i feel like i actually got a nice like stepping stone up to up to it yeah i guess because lane eight he's not like this crazy like party animal no, who's dj till 4 a.m like a lot of his shows are earlier in the night it's hard ticket venues yeah i kind of got to see that world and then also see the soft ticket nightclub world for headlining stuff at the same time and basically get a lay of the land what do you prefer soft ticket for sure really no doubt at yeah. all. yeah the heart i even told my agent when we first started working with him a couple a year or two ago like I'm not into hard ticket venues. Like if there's a rock band at this venue, I do not want to play it. Yeah. And he's like, well, you don't understand. Like most cities you have to do that. Cause like, that's the capacity for your sat, like whatever. Yeah. And that's like the path you take to get to this venue and that venue. Um, and we were like going back and forth and I was like, well, I'd rather do like a pop-up at a warehouse or yeah. something than play at, you know, this hard ticket club. But to me, the sound is just not built for dance music at a lot of those hard ticket venues. Yeah, unless you, like unless you bring in your own sound. Yeah, which is just, yeah, it becomes super expensive. Yeah. But I think it's, you want to be able to sell tickets. Like if I could sell out a soft ticket club like sound or something, yeah, that's like the ultimate, you know, compromise. But there's there's pros and cons to both soft ticket venues like usually don't have a green room the hospitality is like whatever whereas hard ticket they treat you like you're a god because that's their job well also they're dealing with bands they're dealing with act yeah they're they have like showers in the green room this is gonna piss people off but they're dealing with like proper artists that like yeah they're just not a bunch of reprobates doing line well i guess they are doing lines in the bathroom but still like <laughs> it's yeah it's a very different world the whole um yeah dj and and like live band thing yeah. i played um, it also go it, sorry it goes it goes to like what you want to play too like lane eight uh his sets are a lot of his own music and it's almost he's become more of like an act than yeah. a dj like people yeah. know him as as a show and especially with the the this never happened concept that's like what it's become same with afterlife it's, it's like you're you're going to see a show not really a concert like the the visuals are so much a part of it now yeah so for me it's like if my bread and butter is going to a club playing whatever the hell i want yeah so much unreleased of my own music like not all the hits whatever 
that doesn't lend itself well to a hard ticket totally. type of lifestyle. Yeah, so it's, it, it's a different, it's like a festival set and a club set, Com- two completely yeah. different sets. But for me, like I, I want to go into that live room hard ticket. That's, that's where I want to take things personally. Cause I, Interesting. yeah, I, I love playing in clubs. Um, but I think I'd love to curate something bigger that you can't do in a club. Yeah, I guess. So I'm, I'm writing an album and the cool. idea with the album is to have a potentially a band even, but oh, uh, like kind of what like Gorgon does with like a, a real drummer, but like synths and stuff. Yeah. But I'm trying to build it with that in mind. So that might like scratch the hard ticket itch while still letting me do the DJing thing. Well, I think um, I think the thing is, is there's uh, yeah. you can always DJ. There's always going to be like yeah. a, a 350 cap, 600 cap venue that will want to book you, right? There's there's always going to be that if you keep writing good music. I think <clears throat> what happens is when you do the live thing, it's because you're a bigger audience and you can sell bigger tickets. You don't necessarily yeah. make you don't necessarily make more money. It just depends. Potentially less. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it then allows you, it gives you a greater audience, right? Which is yeah. worth more to you in the long run. Um, yeah. Strategically, it seems like hard ticket is always the step Yeah, that you want to make. Yeah. I think, yeah, it just has to be something that it's like, for me, I would want to be doing something different with the project, totally. not playing a DJ set in a hard ticket. I agree but, with that. I agree yeah, with that. That's what I'm really getting at, I guess. Yeah. I, I there's There's ways for it to be presented rather than just a, I think it just looks fucking boring if I'm honest as well just mm-hmm. a dude or a chick just behind decks on a fucking massive stage like come yeah, on yeah I hate that yeah it just it's just not for me at all um and they'll like low cut at like 60 hertz and they're like that's as low as our drums kick goes it's yeah. like I'm not using your drum set <laughs> <laughs> yeah I played um Mission Ballroom with um Duke Dumont not so long ago. Um and that was an amazing venue. Absolutely amazing. And it sounded yeah, I've heard good things. it sounded really good for Duke. They <laughs> they they kept it very quiet for the support acts, which yeah I struggle with a lot. Cause it's like That's also something I think characteristic of hard ticket and not yeah soft ticket. It's like not about the party, it's about the the main act yeah but i think that's i also think that's down to the whole team like realistically when it's the hard ticket venue you as the 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 headliner decides what happens in the venue and i'm not saying duke does this this is duke wouldn't do that but you you own the venue for that night it's your venue so it's like you can you can do what the fuck you want in it really if you want to put light on the support acts, give them, you're not going to give them full production. Of course you're not because yeah, it's that no one wants to see that until the, the headliner comes on. Um, but there comes a point where it's like, well, give a little bit. Yeah. A little bit more. <laughs> but yeah, make it feel like it's still a party <laughs> before you come on. That's the difference. That's what I get. What, what you're saying there with electronic music and, yeah. Like I remember going to see Chemical Brothers in Brooklyn, actually, um, and they're like my favorite 
one of my, them and Faithless. And Charlotte, they had Charlotte DeVitt warming up. And it just wasn't, like, she just didn't need to be there. And I don't yeah. mean that in a ho- There was no disrespect to her or the chems. She just didn't need to be there. Like, it would have been fine not to have her on. It was yeah. just like, because it was loud. It sounded good. But it's like, you're going, it's, it, was an, uh, it was an open stadium on, like, oh, tennis courts. Or the tennis <laughs> oh, courts where the, where the, like, the US Open is on. And walking into like 135 bpm techno it's like that's not yeah it's not it but i get why she's on she was like the hot new thing coming up then and she was like still growing so it was like they put her in front of it which is great um it just curating the night just didn't work yeah that's like a big thing i think that i've learned is a lot of times the lineups are based around how can we actually sell the most tickets obviously yeah not about like what is going to make the best progression of the night like yeah. you might have someone in a totally different genre just because they're really big in that market and you need to sell the rest of the tickets yeah i find festivals a lot like that at the moment yeah where you're like this person's playing this time it's like yeah okay makes no sense to me but like okay it is yeah that's like for like a fan experience that's why i think like those small soft ticket clubs yeah that's when you hear dj's in their in their best light i think well they're djs that's it isn't it it's like you are literally like you're made to do that i think the difference with festivals is like the way festivals started was all bands yeah and like there was no there's no real progression with bands because they have songs yeah and whereas when a dj is playing it's like yes a lot of these artists have songs of their own like i play 90 percent of my own records when i play but it's like <clears throat> it's not fucking red hot chili peppers or green day or something like that yeah there's like, no like banter at the beginning of each song yeah exactly and there's no like gaps yeah totally and yeah it's it's very it's very strange but also i think we we probably overanalyze it way more a hundred percent i talk i do all these kind of chats with my friends and like 10 minutes in their eyes just glaze yeah. over and they're like why do you think about these things it's, yeah it's honestly like i call it the musician's curse but i recently realized or learned that every professional artist has this yeah where like i met a video game sound designer and he mm. was like i can't play video games anymore and that yeah. was like the fate my most favorite thing in the world and i feel like it's at, after a certain level you can't help but analyze everything about what you're doing yeah because it's your job and it's you know you're so close to it yeah, one hundred percent. It's hard to like step away and just be like, "This is just people dancing to music." Like, that's all it is. It's just house music. That's all it is. The, with all the politics, with with everything going on in dance music, in music, it's like it's just music. Yeah. If it, ma- if it makes so- if it makes one person feel good, we've done our job. Yeah. <laughs> really that's sticky. why it's yeah. It's nice to like actually have connections with fans. Like social media, for all of its faults has opened this window well i guess there was fan mail but like that who knows what that was like but seeing dms where it's like you helped me through this with this song like that's what it's about at the end of the day so it is nice that we have that ability to to hear from our fans directly and i yeah i can get reminded of why we're doing it yeah i can guarantee if we didn't have social media 90 percent of us wouldn't be successful yeah probably because it's like 
it's the market would was way smaller, way smaller. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and especially in America, like yeah, it was all rock and hip hop before EDM, and EDM came around. Social media was around before EDM. Apparently. Um, but yeah, just about. And that's when it all started happening. So I think like, yeah, social media, although, yeah, there's lots of cons to it. There's way more pros, way more. Just technology yeah. generally. Like how, how many people can make music now that can't couldn't make music a year ago, two years ago? Yeah, it's crazy. It's fucking like I mean, we're like we're teetering on the edge of being able to just like press a button and have a song written for you. AI. Not not that that's a good thing, but like it's yeah. become easier. It's 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 not it's like it's more about like who has interesting ideas more than who is capable and, and wealthy enough to like afford gear, which is what it kind of used to be. Or yeah. like yeah, yeah. access overall. I had DJ Bone on the podcast, um, and he said what he's noticed is technically people are very good at making music now but what he feels is that the music isn't as good it's not as musical because it's just very spit like cut and paste cut and paste it's like this yeah. goes with that this goes with that technically it sounds great technically they're great at emulating but are they are people good at making their own thing and like yeah. on a on a mass scale like yeah there's fucking great artists out there but on a mass scale there's a lot more formulaic music that just works rather than the hit records that just are unbelievably good that no one can get away from because they're so good yeah the tools have i mean there's literally you can like buy song templates yeah from the companies that do sample packs yeah and if you can like literally load up a template and just like change a little bit of everything and then legally release that yeah like that's literally by definition like the formula <laughs> yeah man so you end up with a bunch of like similar sounding stuff yep and with the likes of splice and all of that there was always sample packs before but sample but packs now, sample yeah. packs were hard to get like it was a process to get sample packs into your computer yeah. and it's like i've got to go buy it and download it or i've got to go put it on i bought the cd i've then got to put it in the cd burner and then go or through the magazine yeah and then go through every sound and label every sound and kind of put it like it's now it's easy it's yeah easy i can download a preset and re restart serum and it's there and i'm making fucking mk bass lines simple as that and you're just like yeah. fuck like I didn't even have to do research on like the synth that it made. Like all I need to do is just type in like MK baseline or whatever. Like it takes the yeah. fun out of it. <laughs> and I think that's why I like having a bit of hardware. Yeah. Um, Cause it just, it's like, well, rather than finding a preset, like let's just load it up and just see what we can come up with. And maybe I'll go through presets on a hardware a little bit more because it's just like gives you a bit more it's just a bit more fun you're actually pushing buttons and shit rather than just like aimlessly yeah. hoping for uh, like limitations for me is really key definitely it's like the first thing i tell people is like don't buy anything for the next two years yeah. and get so good at what you have that 
it's just the ideas you're waiting for, not like yeah. fiddling with tools and stuff. Yeah, get your money's worth out of everything. Yeah, and I think having hardware kind of teaches you how to like perform a little bit. Yeah. In the sense of production where like your songs feel like a performance in a way. Yeah. Whereas when you're, and you can do this in software, it's just easier to like get into the habit with hardware because you're forced to. Yeah, yeah. Totally. But I feel like that's kind of the difference in like the cookie cutter songs versus the non is like, it, was it a performance or did it just like seem like a bunch of stuff stacked together with no like life mm. or like personality? Yeah. 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 But that's also like wh why I gravitate towards the genres that I play and, and make versus like more like loopy based stuff just because it, it feels like there's more behind it. Well, there is more behind it. Generally there's yeah, more there like is. yours is a much more melodical kind of, and there's much more music behind it which yeah or just like even interesting sound design like like the afterlife i feel like right now they're almost like doubling back on big room in a way but the sounds are so much more interesting and weird and cool that it's like everyone's cool with it even though it's still like huge build up huge drop they just found a way to like do it in a way in, in a way that you're still exposing people to like new sounds and i feel like it's either you write good music and you do melodies or whatever and it's the musicality that drives it or you're still blowing people's mind with like just the sounds coming out of the speakers are you gonna hate me for saying it but it's just trance oh 100 percent. i'm not <laughs> like an afterlife fanboy by any means yeah. like it's big room it's trance i'm only glad that it is darker and the sounds are weirder because that's opening up that mainstream audience to yeah. the music that we make and like yeah it's just I, top, I, top of the funnel it's a better top of the funnel than david Guetta was <laughs> it's different as well isn't it i think it, it yeah. hits a different demographic but like they all coincide with each other because they're so big like yeah. when black coffee does a record with david guetta like black coffee's crowd isn't the david guetta crowd but they are now yeah. Kynan Music, those boys, like, now they produce Drake's album. Their fans probably weren't Drake fans, but they are now. Yeah. Or vice versa. But it's, but I I think, I mean, maybe it's just the times have changed and, and you can't compare them, but I, I'm happier that Kynan of Music and Black Coffee and Afterlife are driving the next generation versus whatever Swedish House Mafia was, but maybe at the time I wouldn't have had that. Have you heard space, Swedish House you know? Mafia's new album? No. Mate, go Is listen it to it. It's fucking amazing. Really? It's insane. It I'll, was, I'll, I'll do it. It was on my top albums of listening this year. Wow. In, in Spotify. Okay. That's an endorsement. Yeah. Like, hands down, very, very well done record album. <clears throat> and like I'll, uh, I'll listen to it like even the commercial one with The Weeknd right I'm not a huge fan of The Weeknd at all like the record they did with him is my favorite Weeknd record wow um, okay. <clears throat> but maybe it's not generally your for you I don't know I don't know what you listen to on your on a daily basis I listened the, to the weirder like electronic yeah. stuff so like <laughs> maybe but like listen to it 
in the car driving or loud in the studio and sonically you'll be like fuck i get this this is this is very yeah. well done and like it's it's solid music um but yeah even i think what happened is the market changed and cool music good cool music became commercial yeah which is great yeah it's good for pretty much everyone except david getta <laughs> Mate, David Guetta's doing but even perfectly he's, fine. He's crushing it, yeah. <laughs> when you sell your back catalogue for $110 million, yeah, I think. Jesus Christ. I think you're good. And also, not to forget, David Guetta was fucking banging out underground club records 10 yeah. years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like no one's ever... There, it's very few and far between people that are like actively selling out with that intention. It's more about they're so big that the money comes to them. And then at that point, it's like a different conversation of like, well, what's your next move? And it's like, well, I can't keep doing this underground stuff because mm. there's 20,000 people at my shows. Yeah. I'm all for yeah. selling out. I, I don't yeah, like I, mean, I don't like the words selling out because I think it's like you just got successful. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> to a certain to extent. To me, it's more about like, are you still being authentic? Yeah. Like if you if you like, like I once talked to Oliver about like many years ago at Holy Ship and we were talking about like working with Bruno Mars and, and doing like pop records. And I was like, that's kind of lame. They're like, not really. Like if it's Michael Jackson cool. wanted to make a record with you back in the eighties, would you have said no? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, yeah. It's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Coolest like you're just, thing. you're the opportunities are changing and to say no on the basis of ego is, is kind of immature, I guess. Well, and I think also it goes back to that thing is like, what would your fans like? I, I had it like the last I don't like talking about it, but the last like KX escape KX five I wrote and really, yeah, I, there was oh, four yeah. of us that wrote it and it's like nobody, not many people know about that, but it's like, it's still like, it's, and I've wrote pop things as well that people don't know about. And I think it just changes you as an artist. I played with Calvin yeah. Harris in um, Ibiza this year and I, I listened to him and then every record he played was his and every record he played that was his that he did play and he played every record of his, every song and every record had been a number one record. Insane. And then you're like, oh, wow. I now know why you sell out stadiums and it completely yeah. changed my aspect on the music industry and, and how I want to be uh, on how I want to write music and how I look at the fans. Yeah. I th I've been thinking a lot about like writing for other, well, I mean, I, I already have done a lot of like mixing and mastering co-production, but trying to do, just straight up songwriting for other people. I feel like it's a cool outlet yeah. to kind of get it out of your system and not worry about like, how does this affect my project or my sound or whatever? Yeah. Cause it, it doesn't at all. Gary, shh, be quiet. He's your dog called Gary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a good like, name. <laughs> like the SpongeBob snail. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I, I think, I think do as much as you possibly can with, and take every opportunity, every, not every, not anything is going to come from every opportunity. But take take it because 
you never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. And it, like, if it helps you pay the bills too, and takes the stress off of the, the, your main project or whatever, I feel like that's a miracle. Yeah. I, I think like you look at the kind of music guys and what happened to them from like, they mm-hmm. have their cool thing going on. They were cool as fuck. And they were making great fucking music, really good music. And then you produce Drake's album, your life changes. Yeah. Like, financially but also because drake is the hottest artist in the world everybody wants a piece of you so you have offers coming out of your fucking ears and you can go yes and no to whatever you want Mm -hmm. it's it's a wild wild situation we're in at the moment it's really amazing it's really amazing yeah i love spectating on it and just sitting back and being like this is fucking crazy same who would have thought it it's like got very cool a lot of cool like yeah. Beyonce, look at Beyonce I don't know how do you feel about the Beyonce Grammy thing getting nominated it, it, I'm not surprised because of the press yeah about it being like a revival but yeah. like it was not a revival yeah. at all very much like bandwagon bandwagon hopping yeah I don't my like biggest pet peeve is when people say stuff is innovative and it's not because like say it's good when it's bad like that's cool that's marketing but like the innovative thing like that's the last thing that like artists get to keep for themselves is like i'm actually paving new ground i don't think like that it was really doing much for i i don't i think yeah i think as much as people as much as success beyonce's had she's gone past the innovative part of her career where yeah. she's just not making she will never make something that will turn the heads of people to a certain extent maybe she will i don't know but it's not like <clears throat> it's it's not like she's a new artist yeah. doing something it's, new and interesting it would have to be such a left turn that it's like is that even still her at this point yeah which i would love if she did that i'd absolutely love if she did that but it's got to be successful because there's a lot of people on her payroll yeah i think that's like why people like billy eilish like blow up is because they can do it without the stress of having to satisfy a lot of people or a label they just show up with something that's already innovative and then it becomes huge i love what she's done yeah it's fucking crazy it's dope though that a lot of like house producers or just like electronic producers are now the pop superstars yeah or the the pop producer superstars where like our the weird noises we make and modular synths and like yeah. all that stuff is like literally the forefront of pop music pop music yeah it's amazing like i can hear a song on the radio and be like i can make that with my modular synth yeah. and he he probably did too yeah yeah it's really interesting if it for us in the uk it's been more so like that for a longer time because yeah that's true because electronic music's always been we've always have house records in the charts always yeah um but yeah i with the coolness side of it yeah i don't think yeah it's really interesting really interesting what's what's happening and we're in a we're in a good position definitely i hope so what have you got on uh for the rest of the year this is coming out in january by the way so okay. we're we're in the future. Um but what uh what have you got on plan for the year? Uh so some dates are still falling into place, but I've got a factory ninety three one that 
crazy cool. techno record that I sent you a while back yeah. coming out in March. Sick. Um, hopefully, so I've got a remix that I probably shouldn't say for who, but like one of my all-time favorite singer-songwriters that I've always wanted to remix. Amazing. Finally locked that in. That's dope. Hopefully, it might be out by the time this comes out. It might be just about to come out. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, and then just a bunch bunch more records this year. I think this 2023 is going to be a, a bit heavier. Club records a nice. lot. So so far, a lot of the ones that we've signed and that are coming out, it's it's heavy club-based stuff. But That's dope. Yeah. Sick, man. Um, how can people follow you? Uh, at Enamor Music, pretty much every platform. How do you spell that? <laughs> yeah, E-N-A-M-O-U-R. Like what does the, it mean? It's the English spelling of Enamor. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like that. It's It means, like, to be, Shocked. like, deeply in love yeah, with yeah. something yeah, or, yeah. like, you know, enamored by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess the only other thing is that I, I'm still going to be doing uh, my Patreon in yeah. January if you're a producer and... I do walkthroughs of like all my tracks, videos, a lot of really good educational stuff. That's cool. How, so how, what, like, what was the process of setting that up? Um, it's pretty, they're pretty helpful. And especially mm. if you're like a music creator with like an actual following already. Yeah. They're, they're pretty, they'll like even walk you through it over email, but you just kind of set up like certain benefits, whether it's like videos, merch, unreleased songs yeah. mixes just talking with them and you just you know you can set up the tiers and you just it's it's all pretty pretty straightforward and i've linked mine to my discord so that's where like the the community chats and yeah. everything um but yeah i've just started i record a lot of my production sessions um and i just you know i've always kind of been an educator i think since mm -hmm. the last couple of years so yeah. it's just kind of been a natural progression to start like bundling up the videos and the content and the, the blog posts and just like offering it to fans who want to support me and and you know maybe they're producers maybe they're not but yeah there's just a lot of cool content awesome, it's also man. a cool way to release songs that you don't want to put on spotify or can't yeah but still want to share with your fans yeah survive i i i've debated about doing it for the podcast and mm -hmm. then kind of tying in like merch or tying in other records. But I just, they hit me up and asked me to do it, but I just haven't, haven't done it yet. Yeah. There's like a lot you can customize and do, but like you don't have to do that much if you mm. if you just want it to be like the bare bones. Yeah. But it's really cool. Like seeing some of the progress, like mine's very production focused, but yeah. seeing the progress some of these people have made is like mind blowing. And yeah. like if I had a label, I'd want to sign some of these records. So it's, it's just seeing the community grow and like the people develop has been really awesome. That's awesome, man. It's awesome. Yeah. So how do you sign up for that? It's just patreon.com slash enamor. Um, and then there's like a bunch of different tiers and yeah, if people have questions, they can DM me on Instagram. I, I read all my messages still. Sick. Good man. That's what I like to hear. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this conversation, man. Um, yeah, dude. Really thanks. Enjoyed Good it. seeing you again. Yeah, you too, man. Uh, keep safe and I'm actually in LA in January, so let's go for some food. Yeah, definitely. Or cool. come over and we'll cook something. Yes, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Sounds good, man. <laughs> uh, keep safe, big love, and uh, look after stuff. Cool, see ya. See you love that. Hope you enjoyed it. Big love to everybody for listening. Big love 
to Anama for coming on the show. Um, please hit subscribe. Please get involved um, and share it with your friends and everyone. Keep safe. See you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.